0: Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and welcome to With Friends Like These. I'm talking to an actual friend this week. A nice change of pace from those of you who have been listening over the past couple weeks, um, which took a deep dive into the psychology of Trump voters. Um, My friend on the show this episode is John Ward. He is a political correspondent for Yahoo News. He has a book coming out next year, which is a narrative history of Ted Kennedy's decision to challenge Jimmy Carter for the presidency in 1980. And he has a new podcast called The Long Game that, quote, looks at the lost art of solving problems through the lens of institutions. I've wanted to have John on the show for a while because he is a friend like these. He's someone who... I did not have a ton in common with at first, um, I think, when we first met, besides both being journalists. Um, but we've come to be pretty good friends, primarily because we share, uh, and I hate this phrase, a faith journey. Um, he grew up as an evangelical Christian, and I've been kind of, you know, circling the drain around evangelical Christianity. <laughs> Um, And he's been a real source of strength and hope and inspiration for me as I figure out what my relationship to uh, religion is. And he's one of the few people I feel like in Washington that I can talk really frankly about the role of Christ in my life and the role that I might want to play in being Christ-like. So he and I talk kind of frankly about that particular issue. But it's funny. Conversations take turns you don't expect. And my conversation with John wound up going down a road that I hadn't planned, but I think is pretty valuable for listeners to the pod. Um, I won't describe it too much, um, except to say he jokes about not being vulnerable enough Um, During the course of our conversation. But I think he got plenty vulnerable. And I hope that those of you who are listening with critical ears uh, can open your hearts uh, to someone that didn't start out in the same place that you did, but now is closer. And that conversation is next on with friends like these. So I kind of wanted to start with something that might be a little uh, uncomfortable, but that's the show. So, uh, which is that one time you and I were talking about your faith, you're an evangelical Christian, and I said something about somebody else in our, you know, professional circle, knowing that. And you were like, does everybody know that about me? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, yeah, yeah, actually they do. And um, you seemed like, did you know that? Like that that's something that like.
1: I think it's become more. I think I've become more aware of it over the last few years. And I, if I had to go back and like recreate what I was thinking then, I I actually doubt that I was mortified or anything. No, I don't
0: think you were mortified. Yeah. You were just like, wow, everybody It was like, wow, that's a I thing actually, people know about me.
1: Yeah. I mean, I actually, I'm pretty sure as much as I remember that conversation or what I was thinking at that moment, I'm pretty sure I was actually pleasantly surprised because that's, we've. I think we've yeah. talked about the fact that I, I know we've talked about the fact that. I often wonder, like, am I doing enough? <laughs> God, am I doing enough?
0: And by enough, you mean
1: to image my creator,
0: to witness also.
1: Uh, well, that was that was a big part of the ethic growing up. Right, you know, evangelical. Now I don't know if I would identify. It. I guess I'm evangelical, but I, you know, the last few years have definitely called that into question.
0: But maybe the one way to to phrase this. Something I mentioned before on this podcast, which is that living your values.
1: Yeah, I think if to, to put it in the in the frame of reference that an evangelical would understand, like, am I shining my light? Am I allowing the light of God to and the grace of God to come through me and impact others?
0: Whereas I saw it as like it's one of those we because li- because at the time you know I I lived in D.C. You live in D.C. I don't live here anymore, but I understand the tribe. Um, it was like this one of those things like oh my God, that guy that. Did you know that about John Ward? Like
1: it was like that a little bit. Oh wow! Like
0: not like people were like de- like it's just the same thing that I've discovered having come out <laughs> as a Christian too, which is it's it's a thing like in the in media circles since it's so rare uh-huh. to be to be openly devout to like talk about your faith frankly. Yeah, it's something that other people notice.
1: I mean, I. You know, there's there's always there's always a tension between being motivated by good things and being motivated by guilt anytime you're right. dealing with any conversation around faith. And so that plays a role. Um and yeah, I mean I just think uh I had never been in a conversation like the one you just described, where people said, Did you know such and such is a is a Christian? And um uh I, I just would have been I think I'm still like when you relate that, I'm glad that that that's the case. I mean, I, I I think there's the guilt factor from my upbringing, where it's like you're not. Oh, I know what I was thinking. It's the the verse where I think Christ talks about you know don't be ashamed of of me, and that's that plays into the guilt complex where I'm like, am I ashamed of my faith? I don't want to be ashamed of my faith.
0: Right. Whereas I think for journalists, it's like, can you believe he does both?
1: Mm-hmm. Like,
0: and that, and that's sort of there is. I mean, people have asked me. So after after I wrote about my Christianity. Um, And very very explicit, you know, having been born again. Mm -hmm. Um, People on the right assumed that I would be rejected somehow Mm. by my, like, liberal media friends. Yeah, but
1: you're the cursing Christian, so it's all good. (laughs)
0: That's right. (laughs) But also – but what I found is that it's more of this, like – I think it's sort of almost that it's – There's almost a feeling I I find like, oh, wow, that's so great that you find the time for that. Or like it's considered almost like a – Like hot yoga. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But also with you, I remember I was telling another journalist that you and I had had these great conversations about faith. And he said, wow, I just know him as a great data journalist.
1: Data journalist? (laughs) I mean, I guess that's what happens when you're a generalist. You write a couple articles about tech and you get – you fool people into thinking you're an expert.
0: But, so tell me – but let's get back sort of more directly though. So living one's values, being a person of faith in D.C., um, you said just a little while ago that you're not sure if you would necessarily identify yourself as evangelical anymore. Mm-hmm. Is
1: that – Yeah. I mean I I think the term itself is, is kind of – I did a lot of work last year um, – around the election and faith. And part of some of the work I did was just even trying to define that term. And uh, boy, I've, I have discovered a lot of blind spots in, in my own uh, perspective on the world in the last uh, few years, I, I think particularly around race. Mm-hmm. Um, and in defining that term evangelical, I just had never really considered the fact that there's a lot of theological and, and values uh, agreement between the white church and the black church, the evangelical church. Um, But um, evangelical generally just means white evangelical Mm. because there is such like a cultural and political divide between the white and black church. Um, Interestingly, I did discover recently that the National Association of Evangelicals, their estimate of how many there are in the country is around 30 percent. I think that's right. And the way they get to that number is by including uh, black evangelicals and uh, Hispanics. Um, And – but yeah, I mean – Even Russell Moore has said, I don't really know if I consider myself an evangelical, and I'm sure we'll get into all the reasons why. But um, I don't – I just – I guess I just saw the way that uh, the evangelical church responded Mm -hmm. to challenging circumstances in the last election, and I don't think it was a great representation of the Christian faith. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think it was a response of faith. I think it was a response of fear, and I think that was really the driver for so much that went on.
0: And let's let's dive in there, which is that you and I have been talking about faith and our work and politics for a few years now, but this past year, the election, like, I think you've always been introspective and reflective about where you are and questioning, like, you know, in a good way, like kind of checking in on yourself and where you are in your faith, but... I know this past year was really tough for you.
1: Yeah, tough. Uh, I mean the toughest thing <laughs> – we talked about this before the podcast. I think it's important for me to state as a working journalist. I just was reading Jack Ta- uh, Jake Tapper's um, address uh, where he was awarded uh, some award I can't remember the name of. I'm sorry, Jake. Um, but he made a really good point about how you know the, the media um, – it's important that the media be a part of our, our society and our civic and our political culture. And it's important that the media not take sides um, in doing its job. And I believe that. And I don't believe the media is, quote, unquote, the resistance or the opposition or any of that. All that said, this is like one long clarification or or whatever, and I'm sorry, but I think it's important to state this. Mm -hmm. Um, I did not vote for Trump. And the reasons were – had very little to do with – almost any matter of policy or, um, uh, you know, one issue or another, it had more to do with the fact that I think just objectively he was so unqualified for the job and had so little experience and displayed so little um, uh, quality as a matter of temperament and preparation and his – and furthermore, his his uh, appreciation of – what our government is and what our constitutional system is was so profoundly lacking that I just felt like it, it, it transcended any sense of partisanship or, or party affiliation or any of that. And I just, I just felt like he was completely unqualified. So, um, you so, know, that's sort of where I'm coming from on, on Trump. What were you going to say? I was
0: going to say, but prior to that, would you have considered yourself more of a conservative?
1: Yeah, I mean, i i still I still am conservative, I guess, in some respects. Um, I it's such a hard question to answer. Um, well, but yeah, but in short, in short, yes.
0: Let's let's maybe. St-
1: but but I also think that the job of the government primarily is to provide for the national defense and to help people who are in need of help. Those, the, I mean, I'm so
0: you're not going to find an argument for me on, on those two right. points. I mean maybe the, the argument – I actually think what American politics should be about is just the extent to, to uh, those course. answers yes. to those questions. I right. wish what, the, what our government debates were about, our policy debates were about, were about agreeing on those two goals and then arguing about how to get there. But right. that's unfortunately – I don't think that's what we're doing right now. Um, I'm not sure if we even agree on those goals. <laughs> but um, – Maybe another way to frame this conversation because I'm really just trying to get it like the thinking that you've had you know over over the, over the past year and a half or so as we've been checking in. And maybe the the way to start is when did you this this question of being an evangelical? Yeah. was there a moment where you were like, wait a minute, seeing you know, like seeing their reaction to the Trump phenomenon and being like, what? Wait?
1: I think, you know, I think I saw elements of it before he got in or maybe the summer he got in. Conversation with one family member in particular. I don't think there has to be a lot of – I think at the end of the day, there doesn't ha- – there may not be a lot of disagreement between the way my myself and this family member view certain issues or certain things. But it came down to the way – how we respond and my my determination is to try to be optimistic and to be – and to have faith and to not hope in um, politics. And and even if things are going policy-wise or in the country a way that, I you know, I feel like might be detrimental to my interests, that doesn't mean I go to extreme uh, measures that, you know, conflict with my faith to try to remedy them. Like I think you try to do the right thing to the best of your ability, to the fullest extent possible, and if it doesn't work, you have to trust God. Mm-hmm. Um, and I – I guess I just didn't. I felt like a lot of evangelicals, from my perspective, seem to be saying, "Well, if America goes down the tubes, then um, we're lost." Not in a, a temporal way, but in a in a in a way that's absolute. And, and it goes back to I think a lot of evangelicals confusing um, America with the Kingdom of God. Like the Kingdom mm-hmm. of God goes forward, regardless of what happens to America. But I think. F- there's so many ways in which as people of faith we 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 believe one thing but we live differently we functionally believe something else
0: and maybe another point of con- conflation for evangelicals is confusing white christian america with america
1: yeah that's i mean that's really touchy but um but yes i think that's true
0: cuz i think that's what the phenomenon you're describing and what i heard when i talked to people who are self-identified evangelicals white people. Yeah. Um and it's interesting we could have again have I think the meaning of the term evangelical has really been corrupted because I I now think there are people who identify that way who use it as a cultural signifier.
1: Sure. Yes. And yeah. a
0: political signifier right. and not a signifier of faith.
1: And I think it had been you know, maybe a like a 50-50 who knows 50-50, yeah. 50-50 mix of of people who were devout and people who were just cultural. And I feel like Trump has sort of taken the term and made it much more cultural. Absolutely.
0: And also just in much more political because mm-hmm. like yeah. I think I was talking to a lot of people. If I had asked them, are you evangelical, they would have said yes. If I had said, how often do you go to church? They would have looked at me like, oh, well, you know. Right. <laughs> I mean, not that they don't go, but that they probably don't go very often. And do you profess your – like do you profess your faith? Do you like – do you study the Bible? Like I – have a feeling. <laughs> and actually the studies, you know, the polls that were done of, of those ev- so-called evangelicals yeah. that supported Trump, they were not especially devout people. That's right. You know, in
1: the primary particular, yeah. in, in particular, like it was the churchgoers, the regular churchgoers were for Cruz Rubio, basically. Right. And the non-churchgoers were for Trump. And I mean, the, and, and again, I'll, I know there will be people listening to this who say, well, I go to church and I was for Trump in the primary. And, and I, this is just like a, a, I, I got, but it's I got data this quite point. a bit. It's, yeah. It's, you're the exception. Yeah. Ex, it's a data case. point. And right.
0: what I felt they were saying to me when they talked about um, our culture, us, and using the term evangelical, they were talking about white um, white America. And they were feeling under attack and they were feeling like we have to do something to save our culture. Yeah. And they may have been thinking evangelical culture. If I'd said what culture are you referring to, I don't think they would have said like white supremacy, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And um, I, and I, but I think
1: it's it, – it's so multi-layered and, and complex, and I know people who may not be sympathetic to this point of view don't want to may not want to hear that it's complex, but it is. Um, you know, I think there are a lot of people white evangelicals who are just good people, and oh, they're okay. not, and they're not, they're not overt racists. The thing I have become much more aware of over the last few years is just the, all the ways in which um, inequality and and uh, white supremacy have have sort of been. Um, institutionalized over the last century. Um, and that's been a real journey for me over the past few years. And uh, I just think, you know, the white evangelical church thinks very much in individualistic terms. It doesn't think in terms of um, systems. systems. Yeah. yeah. It's it's not the way we, th- they, we think well, theologically. The whole faith,
0: yeah. The whole faith is based yeah. on a one-to-one relationship, right. you know, an individual relationship with Christ. So it's not, they don't, think in terms of systems right right and i want to be very clear which is that i don't think these people are talking to or the people that are represented in these surveys are necessarily consciously racist
1: no, i think it's more a lack of empathy oftentimes
0: and also a fear it's just it's yeah, just seeing absolutely. your way of life what you consider your way of life which again they might call evangelical but i'm not sure if that's exactly i think that's a cultural term yeah um, uh, threatened you know um, I, I wrote a piece sort of based on a lot of interviews where I kind of posited this fictionalized single person. But, you know, I understand what it must be like to be someone who lives in red America, who you cannot escape the what se- feels like the encroachment of of other values mm-hmm. into your life. Yeah, You know, and you are confronted almost every day on almost every television channel. Right. You know, no matter what you do from sports – to talk shows, to music, to whatever, you are seeing what you thought was the norm change.
1: Yeah. You know. And and I just would also posit unprompted, I was listening to your interviews from Iowa on the way over here and just listening to some of those stories about people being, you know, basically disowned by their own family because they voted for Trump. I think that's a good example of all the ways in which uh, uh, some portion of the Trump support is a result of an, uh, an overzealousness on the part of uh, whatever you want to call it, the left, progressives, um, an intolerance, I think, of people who don't think similarly.
0: Uh, I'm going to avoid pushing back on that because I'd really be okay. interested in hearing the other side of the, the disownment story because I've heard some oh, other sides totally, of it. Totally, totally. You know, I mean, I've, I've, I
1: thought the same thing while I was listening <laughs> to it. But I do think there's. But been, there's
0: still, there's genuine hurt. I would say there's genuine hurt and yeah. genuine feeling of rejection.
1: But I, I think it's hard to argue that um, there hasn't been – I mean to me, the, the fundamentalists, the modern-day fundamentalists often are uh, hardcore liberals who, who really don't brook any dissent. And I think you see that in the college campus um, environment. All
0: right. We might have to sidebar that for, for well,
1: a Well, that's good. I'm later. glad we found some to disagree we with. We found
0: some disagreement because I would just point out that all those th- the stories that we hear about campus debate and the silence yeah. in there, do you yeah. know how many colleges there are in the US? There's thousands. Sure. Thousands. Most of them are community colleges.
1: Yeah, but when I went to the University of Maryland, it was like that. Right. The University of Maryland
0: is an exception to the rule. Like most colleges, most people were – most campuses where people are getting secondary degrees are not having issues like this.
1: Oh, no. I'm just saying the environment when I went to college.
0: Large liberal arts colleges, you're going to see this definitely. And it was was happening when I was there too. And I – Part of me just wants to be like that's the nature of being in your 20s yeah. is that you are super you know, mobilized and super sensitive and you get – you. what needs to happen is grownups need to be there to try and figure out the balance between hurt feelings and free speech. Yeah, um, Some campuses do a better job of that than others.
1: I also agree now. that like as, as much as I feel like <laughs> – um, There's a real lack of understanding and empathy for institutionalized racism and white supremacy among the white church. I mean I do think the race card has been at times – often, you know, abused. Not necessarily by people who are African-American and who are uh, facing hard circumstances. But I mean I think – certainly by politicians, I think it's been been abused at times. Um, Certainly that's the perception among many – among many people, and i that 's the perception that i 've had for for a long time i 'm just in a very different place in my own perspective on race, systemic inequality, and white supremacy, where I now over the last few years have seen that these things are a real a real problem. You are listening to with friends like these with Anna Marie Cox
0: I think we can all agree it is more important than ever to get your news from multiple sources. But then what sources do you choose and how do you keep up? And, um, what is the best way to, you know, even consume these things? Um, if you're just scrolling through Twitter, like what happens for me is that there's like a thousand different articles I want to read. And, you know, um, I wind up with either, uh, 72 tabs open, or I can't get back to Twitter because I've opened an article and I want to keep reading it, um, And I'm worried if I put it in a tab, then I'm never going to get back to it. One solution that I've embraced is texture, which is sort of like Netflix for magazines, uh, except that it's much more uh, has much more to do with my actual job than Netflix. Um, And I use it to keep up with the news. Uh, You know, good old fashioned magazines like The New Yorker and The Atlantic and Vanity Fair, those are on texture. And you get the feel of reading a magazine, like you're not distracted um, by your Twitter feed. You can stay immersed in the application with the gorgeous pictures and the careful layout. And it's it's so much better and so much more absorbing um, than trying to read on your phone or, for that matter, um, trying to read on, a, on the web on your tablet. I also want to say that texture can be fun. Uh, I have used it for design projects and for cooking. You know, there are great barbecue issues of magazines that come out every summer and they don't always have, you know, your favorite recipes. So it's great to be able to go back and look at, you know, barbecue issues of years gone by Um, and not to have to, you know, clip and save that stuff. Uh, You can just keep it in the app. So, It is the easiest way to feed your curiosity and, you know, to feed your face. It's searchable. You can mark what you like. You can look at back issues. They also have bonus video content, which I I understand is all the rage these days. Uh, And they curate articles and magazines just for you. It is normally $9.99 a month, and you get over 200 magazines. But if you sign up right now at texture.com slash friends, you get a 14-day free trial why subscribe to just a couple of magazines when you can have all of your favorites on your smartphone or tablet all the time for way less. Also, Texture was selected as one of Apple's top 2016 iPad apps. So start your free trial now and download the Texture app. Right now, Texture is offering, again, our listeners a 14-day free trial when you go to texture.com friends. Again, that's a 14-day free trial to try Texture. When you go to texture.com slash friends, texture.com slash friends. I'm going to skip to the part where we agree because I think we could have a real, we could go down a real cul-de-sac about, about this because.
1: Again, I'm open to. I
0: mean, I guess in theory, because I want, because I want, I want, because sure, in theory, do some people play the so-called race card in ways that are. Uh, not necessarily intellectually honest or maybe even factually honest yes but you know the structure of our society is such that i'm willing to kind of be like well that's like some people are some people are going to do that but we need to pay so much the, the problem of systemic institutional racism yeah. is so bad yeah yeah i don't want to argue I agree with that. about the times where the race card so called race card i don't even really like that term
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, it, it, it comes up in in ways that are unfair, I would
1: generally be in total agreement with that. Okay. Um, uh, going back to, I want to make two two quick points. Because then we're going to
0: turn to Tucker Carlson show. If we if we focus on the times where yeah. where we talk about you know the so called you know these the if we if we talk about liberal campuses and um you know dealing the race card from the bottom of the deck or whatever, <laughs> we're going to turn into Fox, and that's not. Not, we we don't want to do that.
1: <laughs> so race is one part of this for white evangelicals. Yes. I think I think you just can't underestimate the extent to which um, changing more is on same sex marriage, mm-hmm. gay marriage, um, transgender Trans- bathrooms I was about to say that played a huge role in electing Trump. And um, I don't know. I I think if you're not from the evangelical world, it's hard to understand the way in which so many people in that world have um, for a long time sequestered themselves away from people who aren't like them. Mm -hmm. And I think to see Obergefell, you know, happen at the Supreme Court level was a real shock. And I think a lot of people had like just sort of put their fingers in their ears and hoped that things would, you know, not keep going the direction they were. And I think a lot of people freaked out. Um, and uh because you know you have this this train of thought that thinks well you know our churches are going to have to you know hire uh gay pastors or or whatever or else they're going to be shut down our pastors are going to be thrown in prison there's this whole chain of of thinking out there so that's a big part of it as well but i know i feel like i feel like you really want to uh to get get me to be vulnerable and i'm not doing it <laughs> uh, so let me try harder
0: Oh, you've intuitive you're, – you're, you're intuitive um, if not actually being vulnerable because, yeah. I mean what I'm really thinking I'm scared. Would be interesting. Well, thank I'm you. I'm scared
1: of being vulnerable. Well,
0: this is a safe space, John. It's like a college campus in here. <laughs>
1: Except for these microphones.
0: Um, well, I mean rather than focus on getting vulnerable, let's just try to talk about what <laughs> happened, Right. Which is that you?
1: I'm in a weird place, though. I'm 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 I've been a straight journalist for yeah. 15, however many years, sixteen years, and I'm kind of, kind of moving out of that, sort of. But mm-hmm. I don't ever want to leave that element of my work behind, and so there's that. I'm I'm unsure of how much I can say publicly about my own personal feelings, even though that's probably a totally outmoded way of thinking about everything.
0: Well, I think you've put out already your disclaimer about that the media is not part of the resistance, which I would agree with. It only it only is in the sense that the media should be based in facts and sometimes
1: well, on that, we, our, <laughs>
0: and that sometimes that seems itself to be an act of resistance.
1: Our job is to be a check on on power. That's right. absolutely, but that doesn't matter right. regardless of who's in. Power.
0: Exactly. Um but and I, many
1: people feel like the press did not do that during Obama. And yeah. in many ways, the press did do that. But in many ways, the press was very friendly to Obama. I get it.
0: I do as well. I, see, I mean, I see that. Um, but I want to say you've laid out your disclaimer.
1: Yeah. Disclaimer so, after disclaimer. And also
0: you have a body of work to look at that people can see the work that you've done, which has been just for the most part incredibly detailed reporting mm-hmm. um, and analysis so I'm trying to tell you I think it's OK if you give your opinion here, <laughs> especially because what I want to talk about is what I know is there, which is the, this idea that if this – seeing the evangelical church respond the way that it did in this election caused you to think more closely about what your own faith was telling you. hmm and, and I don't know if it matters what you call it. I think it does matter to you though. Like I've, I have – I don't really know what to call my particular flavor yeah. of Christianity. I haven't – I've decided it doesn't really matter. Sure. <laughs> but it must matter a little bit to you, more than a little bit.
1: Like whether I call myself evangelical? Yeah. Uh, I haven't really agonized over it. I don't really care. I never thought of myself as an evangelical that much uh, before the last few years to be honest. It was just as I kind of re- did more reporting on it that I began, be- began to realize, okay, this is kind of where I come from. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I kind of agree with you actually that it doesn't in, – in some senses it doesn't matter. At the same time, I'm like in this – one of the, one of the you know, rabbit holes I'm going down in my personal faith journey is um, you know, talking to, to people who are more creedal and liturgical – about you know how much forms of worship matter, and because I, I definitely feel like a huge lack in the evangelical culture is um is its is its uh, disassociation from the past, its lack of um you know building uh, on ancient traditions, and and that's something the Orthodox churches and what are I guess called Christian Reformed churches, and obviously the Catholic Church have a lot of so. Um, yeah, I don't feel like I'm answering your question. though.
0: That's OK. We can just cut all the stuff that's not interesting. But I, again, rather than think about how to be vulnerable, what I wanted, what I'm trying to get you to do is just to talk about what's happened for you.
1: I know. I know you are.
0: <laughs> so I'm trying to maybe ground it in just a <laughs> linear narrative, like, a you know, chronological.
1: Like The problem is knowing which thread to pick up and where to start, you know, um, because there's the race thread. There's. Um, um,
0: it seems like the race thread is the one I know you've not only done personal thinking about, but done some reporting on. So, sure. Let's I mean, start there.
1: I, I mean, I think a couple years ago, I, when Black Lives Matter really picked up in Ferguson, I would have been a more typical white white guy, you know, response and, um, pretty ignorant of institutionalized racism of all the ways in which it's systemic uh, and pretty unsympathetic to the to the Black Lives Matter point of view. And I think I would have um, – I, I, I don't think I would have. I did. I kind of bristled at the idea of like why – like what, what is all why this? Why don't all
0: lives matter? That kind of response. Yeah, I
1: don't remember necessarily going to bat hard on that. But yeah, basically. Um, and I kind of went through this – you know, roller coaster of um, going back and forth on it. I would see you know video come out. I mean, I, I the Walter Scott video was one really just vivid example uh, where it's just so clear what's happening. Um, and then when you have this pattern of these videos popping up over and over, it's you know obviously not. It's it's obviously a pattern of some sort. Um, but then. <laughs> You know, I would see stuff like um, the protesters who interrupted Bernie Sanders, and I'd be like, "Well, that's like not—I don't really agree with that." Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not doing a good job of explaining it, but. Um,
0: well, I also know you started talking.
1: Oh yes. To yes. African americans Thank you for reminding me of that.
0: <laughs> Christians, right? Like this is actually something I could say that would be.
1: Uh, helpful. <laughs> yeah. I don't think this guy is even a, a person of faith, or oh. maybe he is. I don't know. Um, I can't remember. I'm sorry if he is, and I offended him. But Benjamin Dixon, he's a guy who um, uh, uh, was at the time doing his own show just on like YouTube, and I think he's now been picked up by um, Current. Maybe I can't. I can't remember. Uh, but he, I wanted to do the series of pieces back in like the summer of 2015, where I got. People like Ben, who's a very articulate, outspoken person on um, racial justice. He lives in Boston. Uh, uh, African American guy. I wanted to get people. I came like in conversation with guy. This guy I knew in New Hampshire, Jerry DeLamas, who, um who is now in jail. Uh, he was at the Bundy Ranch uh, out in uh, out west um, and uh, was recently sentenced to like six years in jail for his part in the um, militia. Uh, standoff with um, the Bureau of Land Management. Uh, I had met Jerry during, during reporting on the Tea Party in New Hampshire and he was a really kind, um, good person and you know, he had certain ideas about the government um, that he, they didn't like. Anyway, I wanted to get them in conversation with people. So part of that process with each other, part of that process was just talking to Benjamin and in doing that, I think that was just – it wasn't – it was just the cumulative nature of talking to him. Um, that I think disarmed my natural defensiveness as a white white dude. Where, you know, my my own ignorance is my own fault. But, um, but because of my ignorance, I looked at the whole conversation on our race, and I was um, I was threatened by it, mm-hmm. and I was uh, scared of it. And I thought, well, you know, uh, if I have this conversation, like, what is on the other side? Like, what? I, I'm not a racist. Like, what do you want from me? And um, and so, just I I think just having conversations with Ben was the first step to uh, taking away the the mirage of the boogeyman. You know, where it's like, well, I don't, I don't think I had any tangible thoughts of what it what it would mean to enter this conversation. It was just the fear of the unknown and the fear of. Well, oh, like,
0: I think that that's we've we've talked about it on the show before, which is that being called a racist is the white person's kryptonite. You know, like it's a it's fear. It's like I don't want to look too far into this because I might be implicated. I think that's a really common underlying fear for people
1: with privilege. And – I don't remember consciously thinking I don't that. think it's necessarily yeah. conscious. I think yeah. it's just
0: what you were sort of talking about, your resistance to even thinking through mm-hmm. the systemic issues. Yeah. And I think that's the one you know a problem with trying to get people to look at systems is that they're so big and we are implicated in them, mm-hmm. and you kind of have to get you over your own part in it, and that's often through single conversations, that's often yeah. through conversations with someone who can just talk who can you know hold your hand a little bit, yeah, but talk a little bit more about what happened
1: um well, no, I mean, I think it was just getting me past that um that defensiveness that uh. Opened up, that, that got me into a place where I could actually, you know, honestly look at the at the at the topic and, and learn about it, and be open and not threatened and not re- re- not respond defensively every time I heard the topic come up. And so, it's interesting. I would have conversations. I sought people out. I would have conversations with other um, African American people, and um, a lot of them didn't seem to go very well. I would like. <laughs> I would, I would like well, share. Tell me,
0: tell me how these covers. How it, did these? It wasn't. What was the gambit on these? It was. It wasn't obvious,
1: but I would like share where I was coming from, and uh-huh. and I would be, and I would. My general like sentiment was, I'm like,
0: I'm down. I'm woke. doing.
1: I'm doing pretty good on this, right? And uh, I'm
0: like pretty woke, right?
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> somehow that didn't go over and, well, and the response was never very enthusiastic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think the the thing in particular that really, in retrospect, as I mm-hmm. as I I did analyze a lot of these conversations, I think I would tr- a couple times. I remember one in particular. I tried to explain, you know, hey, uh, I think these are some of the things that that trigger white people, right? And I wasn't trying to say like white people are right to be triggered. Mm-hmm. I was saying like if you're trying to uh, persuade white people, like you might want to consider X, Y, Z. What I realized,
0: yeah, that doesn't. Um- I can kind of imagine how that that did not go over well. Why do you think? Um, you know who knows how how white people think? Black people, yeah. They've they've had to their lives depend on knowing what triggers white people. Yeah, literally, literally knowing what triggers them. Yeah, like right. they've had for three hundred years to to make us feel safe.
1: I think also there was an element of well, why don't you go tell them? Hmm. Right. And that's something I, it took me a long time to realize where these folks I was talking to, they're like, yeah, um, I'm really exhausted from having from trying to explain this to people and you are a much better messenger than I am uh, to other white people. Yeah, And so it doesn't mean I'm an evangelist or anything, but it means I view this topic as something that I'm trying to bring up with my family. And, uh, you know, I was with I'm going to refrain from mentioning which family member, but I was I was with a family member on a road trip recently, and uh, we were driving somewhere late,
0: mm-hmm. and I
1: and I played a, a podcast by a guy named Jamar Tisby who does a podcast called called the, uh, Pass the Mic, and uh, really good on on issues of race and religion. Uh, I think I've mentioned them to you, but um, I I only played it at like 11 o'clock at night as the person in the front seat was kind of like half asleep Mm -hmm. because i felt like and maybe this is like too timid but i felt like to do it when they were fully awake it would be like very kind of aggressive like um and so i kind of asked this family member the next day like did you hear it like and wasn't much response i kind of shared some of where i was coming from and again not much response so i i think it's a small step i can take i think most many people in my situation um Many white people feel like, well, that's their concern, mm-hmm. and I think increasingly I feel like it's—it's not—it's my concern too. Um,
0: I mean, I think and I need to go
1: out of my way to try to make it better.
0: I mean, if you think that you know, shining the light of Christ is important. Yeah, I mean, this is part of that, right? That's
1: right. You're
0: listening to "With Friends Like These" with Anna Marie Cox. So this is a, a true story about parachute sheets, which is I was in DC uh, on the Hill this week and I was talking to staffers and b- many of them are fans of the Crooked uh, Media broadcast family. And one of them said, in fact, I listen to so much Crooked Media, I am starting to think I should buy some parachute sheets. And I was like, oh my God, that's actually one of the, one of the advertisers I really, really love. And you should use my, you know, offer code, which is friends. Um, And I kind of went off on a little rant and she was like, wow, you, you really like those sheets. And I do, as I have said before, uh, John and I have the uh, linen sheets. Um, We have the version that is the duvet cover and bottom sheet, which is not something that everyone sells, by the way. Sometimes if you want to do duvet and bottom fitted sheet, you have to like buy two sets, not with parachute um, the linen sheets are fantastic, especially in the summer. They're also great if you're kind of more of a uh, maybe a casual approach to homekeeping, let's say, uh, and you don't mind having the intentionally wrinkled look, or actually, which is more representative of my, my way of doing things, is that I don't have a casual approach to homekeeping. I like everything to be neat, but when the sheets are linen, then you can't be perfect. So that's awesome. So, uh, great sheets, great feel, also kind of modern feeling. Um, The shams are really sleek, uh, as is the duvet. Uh, The colors are amazing. We have these dark gray ones. I'm actually thinking about getting um, another set. Uh, They do get softer with every wash. They also do good in the world. They are a partner with the United Nations Foundation to donate malaria prevention bed nets. Also, if you do return your sheets, uh, the returns are donated to Habitat for Humanity. You know, and this is also great, you know, bang for the buck. They do a direct-to-consumer business model. They Everything is responsibly made, uh, all natural, no harmful chemicals or synthetic softeners. And they just... I mean, they're kind of awesome. And they're the, you know, the home sheets of the Crooked Media brand. So please visit parachutehome.com slash friends for free shipping and returns. Uh, I promise you, you are going to love the way they look at the very least. Um, You're probably going to love the way they feel. They do get softer every time you use them. And you'll experience that with their free 60-night trial. If you do not love them, send them back. No questions asked. And again, those returns do get donated, so you don't even have to feel bad about it. Again, that's parachutehome.com slash friends for free shipping and returns. I mean, I think there's no no other way around it. If you're a professing Christian. Of course,
1: there's always lots of things you can do to shine your light. It's a matter of how important are these issues and how much can you do about them. And I think, quite honestly, this is just not an issue of high concern for many, you know, White people because it's it doesn't well
0: because it doesn't doesn't, doesn't hurt we don't right. see how it hurts us right. it actually hurts us all the time this is thing Russell Moore talks about a lot is that we don't realize as white people how much we're being harmed by systemic racism yeah yeah and, right. and our own ability to love and connect with people you know and to share you know the love of Christ is is we're not completely doing it if we're somehow Absolutely. not
1: it's a huge, it's a huge black mark on, um, to use a term that you brought up earlier, on our witness mm-hmm. um, that we're not showing uh, unity um, between you know, that we're allowing skin color and economics um, and all all the things to to divide us. We're supposed to be unified, um, um, and I and I think you know if the church, if the American Christian Evangelical Church really does feel like, and I know it does, feel like it's, uh, you know, swimming upstream and facing headwinds. I, I know a lot of people feel like they're facing persecution. I like think that's ridiculous. But, um, you know, facing, cultural headwinds, cultural say. headwinds, for sure. Yeah, I agree with that. And um, if that's the case, like the white church has a lot to learn from the black church, mm-hmm. because the black church has been through much worse. Um, and in terms of, you know, being in a situation where you're you're not in power, I think the black church has a lot to teach us.
0: And I would say I want to push back on the idea that you don't or don't want to be or don't see yourself as an evangelist for, you know, uh, talking about systemic racism or talking about white supremacism. Because if you're okay with being an evangelist for Christ, damn it, like, why can't you? Like, why? What would be the shame in being an evangelist On this, like you, we started this conversation about how you're known among journalists as being like, oh, yeah, John Ward, he's a Christian. Um, Like what would be so bad about being, oh, yeah, he's really interested in, you know, getting um, people to talk about white supremacy and white, white, you know, systemic racism in white churches. Like I would say that that would be something that if I was known for that, Mm -hmm. I mean, I would consider that that's a part of my witness, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Like,
1: I agree with that. I, I think – I guess I'm sort of pragmatic sometimes in terms of I don't know if like um, – if that's – anytime you're known for only one thing, right, well, it, it, it becomes hard to be effective on that sometimes unless you're an advocate like lobbying lawmakers. I don't know.
0: And I think that that's, that's other people's issue if they only know you for one thing. Sure. Like <laughs> – um, I, I, but I, I just think it's really interesting. I do – but I think you're – you're right to be sensitive to it in a way because I do think that we're still in a period where to be especially sensitive on issues of systemic injustice mm-hmm. makes you seem like you're an evangelist, makes you seem like you're overly concerned, right? At least if you're among white people.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't. I guess I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have any problem with if my family felt like you know he's he's kind of um, talks about race too much. That would not bother me at all. Um, (laughs) It's good to know. Yeah. I think
0: that's probably, I mean, I think it's a good thing, right? They wouldn't care if, they would never say, we think about, we think John talks about God too much.
1: They wouldn't ever say that? Yeah. They might. Well, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, not now. To you, but (laughs) I don't think, I don't think they would say that about, about the current me. Right. Yeah.
0: Right. Well, I think we're actually almost out of
1: time. I think I've failed this podcast.
0: No, well, you can have to you'll have to come back, yeah I think I think, this was, I think this there'll was, be more to
1: say down the road. I've got a lot to work out still
0: no, I think this accomplish one of the things that this podcast is supposed to accomplish, which is that we talk about how people come to change their minds like how do you how do you get from one place to another in your beliefs yeah and that's definitely part of your story
1: I mean I I have been thinking for a while that I want to write a piece about a lot of what we've talked about, um, and uh, so much of it is unformed, which makes it hard for me to talk about. I feel like, you know, you're a writer. You know how it is.
0: Well, I mean, one writer or another, you know, like, I mean, chronological always works. And you just told a story, and that's—it's a powerful story. And I think it's a story of some hope to a lot of the people who listen to this podcast— whose, you know, friends and relatives have not been made aware or who or are still in that uncomfortable place of seeing their own part in systemic injustice, mm-hmm. right? Um, that there's a way that people do walk through that discomfort mm-hmm. and get to a place where you realize, oh, like, you know, not only am I, okay, I'm a part of this system and I got to be okay with that, And then my part is to turn around and talk to the people behind me, right? Yeah. And offer a hand. Right. You know.
1: I should also say there's a woman in St. Louis named Michelle Higgins who um, my conversations with her have left indelible uh, impacts on me. Um, She's a very powerful and articulate um, person probably. I mean she's either late 20s or early 30s, just a very dynamic and soulful um, person of color and, and of faith.
0: Maybe have to get her on the show.
1: She's really good. She has her own podcast. It's called uh, Truth Table. All right. Yeah.
0: Well, that's gonna be it for now. But thank you, and you'll have to come back.
1: Only if you insist.
0: <laughs> All right. Thanks. And that is it for the show. If you want to continue the conversation, you can reach me uh, through the show uh, at our show email with friends like Pod at Gmail. John is on Twitter, at John Ward That is at J-O-N-W-A-R-D-1-1. I believe that is a Jersey number of his. And the show has a Twitter uh, as well, which is at Crooked underscore Friends. You should listen to all the other podcasts in the Crooked Media family um, if you enjoyed this one. Although I know a lot of you come to us from the other podcasts in the Crooked Media family. And if you enjoy the podcast, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever it is you get your um, streaming media fix. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, It was another tough week. I don't have anything wise to say about it, except that it's now over and we're all still here. And self-care is not self-indulgence. It is an act of self-preservation and therefore political warfare. Thank you, Audrey Lord, for that reminder. See you next week.